Charles. This morning, as in our Lenten season, I want to touch on the book of Mark. The book of Mark in the second chapter. Book of Mark, second chapter. I'm going to read verses 13 through 17. Book of Mark, second chapter, verses 13 through 17. And it reads as thus. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Father God, we look to you right now, asking you to clear our hearts, clear our minds, and set the place for us to receive a message from you. Prepare us to better understand what it is you are doing in our lives in order that we can better walk the path you have paved for us. Lord, I ask that you consecrate me now by the power of your grace so divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and let my will be lost in thine. In the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Yesterday, I was home all day with the kids. A rare occurrence, thankfully. But it happens sometimes. And as I was there, and, you know, I kind of let them do what they want to do for the most part. And little Ava's coming down, and she always likes to snack on stuff. She's a bit of a snacker. And so she'd come and ask for whatever, and I'd say no. You know, she'd go back upstairs and come down. 10 minutes later, I hear there's a little rummaging in the kitchen. Ava, what are you doing? Huh? What are you doing? Oh, and then she comes in and gives me some story. You know, I was wondering what you were doing. Can I have a hug? <laughs> sure, you can have a hug. You know. But something funny that she does is when her mom came home, I'm going a little out of order. When her mom came home, they 
out earlier that day together, and Mom was a little frustrated. And Mom looked at Ava a certain way. And it's one of those looks where you know something bad to happen. She wasn't happy with her. And when the Ava looked at her and they made eye contact, it was clear that something had happened. Not because Ava was ashamed, but because she looked at her like, Good boy. <laughs> this is my child. And so I figured something had happened. I said, well, What happened, Mom? And Mom said, Ava, you want to tell Daddy what happened earlier today? He said, Oh, well, you know, well, I was out, you know, and it becomes this soliloquy, a thing, this beautiful story. And then at the end, she says, But I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mommy. I'm sorry. And I mean, she means it. I'm so sorry, Mommy. Can I have a hug? And they hugged. Now, I've seen this play out several times over her short life. <laughs> and so I say, well, Ava, you know, when you say you're sorry to someone, it means that you're not going to do it again. You can't just say sorry and then keep doing the same thing. That's not how it works. I know sorry to you right now just means like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to say to everyone to leave me alone. <laughs> and I get a hug out of it. But I'm trying to explain to her that that's not what sorry means. And I tried to tell her, I have no idea if it sunk in. Probably not. But it made me think of how we are and how we do say we're sorry. Now we're adults, and usually we're sorry. We are sorry. We do mean it. But a lot of times in our personal, where no one else is watching, where there's no one there to react or know whether we're supposed to or not supposed to, we may say sorry in ourselves. Like, man, I'm sorry I did that. But yet, We'll find a way back in those same situations, doing the same things again. And then something happens that's interesting of the psychology of humans. Instead of admitting what we've done, we keep it in, and then we build this thing called guilt. And each time we keep doing it, even though there's no one else that knows or was, does know that we're not supposed to, or that guilt gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because we've told ourselves, I'm sorry, but we didn't mean it. We've told ourselves, I'm not going to do that again. I'm, I'm, this is not who I want to be. But then we do it again. And we wrestle with that thing. And so in this season of Lent, repentance, penitence, it's a time for us to say, I'm sorry. It's a time for us to say, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to be better. But it's really, truly a time for us to say, Lord, I'm flawed. Lord, I'm never going to be perfect. 
the opportunity to be all the things I know I'm not quite going to be able to be. And that's why it's a time of renewal. If we ask ourselves the hard questions, if we look at ourselves honestly, we know there are things we don't like to see in there. But it's exactly those things that Christ is saying, give it to me. I'm the healer. And so today I want to just use the scripture. My wife's going to be mad because I don't have three points today. I don't. But if you're taking notes, I do make it fairly clear of the points. I just couldn't get three. So I do want to look at how we can better in this Lenten season. And this is what this is all about, guys. It's about preparing us to make the most of this time. I want you to really use from now until Easter to allow God to grow you through your struggles, through your examinations, through the things, the day-to-day -day you're going to do. Oh, this morning, we're here practicing. Andy comes in a little late, a little flustered. Oh, yeah, I'm going to use that. That was a good one. Andy's huffing and puffing. We're like, hey, Andy, I can't talk right now. I had a hard morning. It's like, okay, all right, man. Puts down his Dunkin' Donuts coffee, and he's just standing there looking at his wife. And his wife's like, hey, babe. Love you. <laughs> so apparently, Andy had some issues this morning trying to get some coffee. Went to McDonald's, stood in the long line of the drive-thru, and when he was the next one up to order, they closed it down. <laughs> something happened inside. Something broke. In his diligence, in his want to and need to get his wife a coffee this morning, he goes to Dunkin' Donuts. Gets the Dunkin' Donuts, makes the order, waits in line, they give him his stuff, and it's the wrong thing. <laughs> So he goes and he says, hey, you gave me the wrong one. And the lady in her, I'm sure just following corporate rules, says, well, sir, you have to go back through the line. <laughs> now you know it's Sunday because Andy was nice. He said, okay, because I don't, you, you're right. I don't know if I would have been that good, bro. I don't know if I would have been that good. But there are things that made me think. It's the struggles. The things that we are going to go through, that we put ourselves through, to make it feel like we've gone through something. You know, there's something to a struggle. It's like we all want to avoid it. No one likes to be uncomfortable. No one likes pain. But we go through those things because we understand we are trying to make it to something. And we understand that we just don't want to get beaten down by everything. There's enough stuff we do to ourselves to beat ourselves down that we don't need to have extra added on. So we push through. We learn to have patience. We understand what that means. Perseverance. We understand that we see how if we just keep going and keep pushing, eventually 
we get there. And if we look in the scripture today, Jesus uses this beautiful example of how if we just have the patience, sit through the struggle, that eventually we find ourselves exactly where God wants us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> See, we find Jesus here, and he's walking around, and he's doing the Jesus thing. You know, he's, he's healing people. He's teaching people. And what happens when someone is a great teacher and is healing and touching people's lives? Well, you're going to kind of be attracted to them, right? If it was nowadays, the guy would, he'd have the biggest church on the planet. It wouldn't even be a church. He'd just be ruling over us all. And we're waiting on that. That's right. We're waiting on that one. But something interesting here. As he's walking around, as he's teaching, he takes a little divergence. And he goes by the tax collector's office. Strange place for the Messiah. Strange location for the Son of God to go. There's nobody poor there. There's nobody struggling at the tax collector's office. That's like going to the head of the bank's place, saying, hey, how you doing? Follow me. This guy's got the best job. He's probably hated by a lot of people, but he's got all the money. And Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, the Bible doesn't say how the man looked. Doesn't say if you look at him cross-eyed, if he just says, mmm, who's this guy? Doesn't say any of that. It simply says he got up and he followed. And that seems to happen a lot to Jesus when he asks someone to follow him. Not a lot of hemming and hawing. Not a lot of thought that goes into it. They just get up and they follow. And it has to make me think that Whatever it is that he had around him, you know those people that they just have something about them, an aura, and a charisma, an energy, that he was just so attractive, not in the physical sense, but in the sense that that guy has something that I need. It reminds me of my aunt, one of my favorite aunts, and she used to always say to me, son, be a man with some benefits. Now, when I was a little kid, I didn't know what that meant. She's like, you need to be a man with some benefits. I just thought that meant, all right, I need to have a talent. Let me play the guitar or something. But as I got older, what I realized she meant was you need to have a job, and you need to have a job that has health care. That's benefits, right? Because we all need health insurance. Something's going to happen. We need to have a place to go. We need to have someone that's going to help take care of us. And so becoming a man of benefits meant I had something to offer the women I was going to meet in my life. She was trying to give me good advice. I didn't really take it very well. My wife fell in love with me. I didn't have any kind of job. The spirit moved on her. But it is true that 
we look for things that are going to benefit us. We are attracted to things that we feel or we think are going to add something to us, to our lives. And maybe, I'm sure we all understand what God gives us, the salvation that that provides. But do we truly understand the benefits that Jesus gives us? And not just that, but the benefits of following him. See, to follow him doesn't mean to just simply read about his life, study him, you know, got my MDiv, studied him to death. But am I following him? Meaning when he asks me to take action, when God asks me, when he puts something on my heart to do something about it, what do I do? Do I think about it? Do I do some research? Do I ask some friends what they think? The tax collector didn't do any of that. Intelligent man, successful man. He simply got up and he followed. He acted. There are things that we're mulling over right now in our lives. Maybe God's asking me this. Maybe God's asking me that. I'm not sure. Let me pray about it. God's asking you to act. He's asking you to do something. He's asking you to follow him with our thoughts, with our reading, but also in our actions. See, we're all he has left. We're the hands, the feet, the mouth, he uses us to be a blessing to others. We don't even realize it half the time, more than half the time. But it's in our obedience. It's in our obedience. Whether we feel like it or we don't. It's in our obedience that God blesses. He blesses us. And he blesses those around us. We look at the story. And they go to the tax collector's house. And here at his house, he's not alone. As is the case with this story, they're followed. And the Bible is very specific about who was there that followed. It just says they were all sinners. Didn't say what kind of sinners. Didn't say what they did. It just flatly says they were all sinners. Now that's a good one, right? As we say, that'll preach. That'll preach. Because we're all sinners. So we all can relate of being at this place and having the Pharisees Come along and say, why is Jesus sitting with sinners and a tax collector to boot? Why would he associate himself with the same kinds of people that we, the Pharisees, the religious of the group, the ones who have studied the Torah, who understand 
the Levitical laws, who keep them, who are the protectors of the law. We know not even to associate with these types of people. And now here is this man claiming to be the son of God, sitting down at the table with them. Well, that's why they called him a radical. And he's radical for us because he wants to sit down with you right where you are. He wants to have time with you. He wants you to just be present with him. Regardless of what everybody else may say. Friends, family. It's not a situation of look at me or what I'm doing. It's a situation of saying, I'm going to just spend time with my Lord and Savior. Amen. You know, we, old saints say you need to go in the prayer closet. Now, I wasn't literally going into a closet, even though I did do that as a kid. But it just meant you go in that place where there's nothing else, no distractions, no other cares. It's just you and Jesus. A moment of meditation, of quiet, not asking, not petitioning, but just saying, Lord, be with me. Sit with me. That's what it is. That's what he wants from us. This is why he did this in this story. The story is not just about the Pharisees versus the sinner. It's not about, oh, the tax collector, and he followed. The whole thing is about that in the midst of everything else, he sat down at the table, didn't care what anybody else was going to say or think. And that's where he is with us. If we sit down with him. Today at the church, we're going to do an all-church prayer. I talked about it last week a little bit. And that's exactly the purpose of the prayer. It's a time for us to be quiet. Not necessarily ask for anything in the moment. But just focus our attention on what God is saying. What are you saying to me? What is it that you're pulling at, pulling out in my life, in my heart? It's here at the table with him. You know, when we first got our home, we were all excited, sold our first house, and we were shopping for stuff. And my wife was very, very focused on getting the dining room table. Now, we don't have a dining room, the house isn't that big, but she wanted a dining room table. And the significance for her was that it was the central place of the home. 
It was a place for all her, her memories growing up of sitting down with family, talking, eating, sharing, and here it is, being present. Now in my house, we didn't do that much. It was a lot of me sitting and everyone's gone because I wouldn't eat my food. <laughs> and I just waited everyone to clear out so I could feed the dog, but that's here nor there, Mom's not here today, so I don't say that. But the table has such a significance to how we build our families, the memories, the stories we share together at the table. It's a lost art. It's something we don't really cherish as much as we used to. But I would say that it's still very significant in our lives that we carve out time to just sit and be present with our loved ones, with friends, and of course, with our Savior. The table symbolizes our hearts. It's a place where we open up and we share that space with others. So let us welcome in Christ to our table as he sits with us. And so there he was, sitting with them, Pharisees saying what they want to say, Jesus not caring, as usual, using it as a teaching point. Because he says back to the Pharisees that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Not those who are well, but those who are sick. Now we've heard that before. I hope you've heard that before. And it's such a brilliant point because we always think of, we, we kind of tend to, some of us, no one here, no one here, but some of us in the tradition of Christianity, when we receive Christ and we start getting into the word, we get a kind of sense of entitlement. That, well, I'm, I'm saved now. I have this righteousness on me. So I can see things that other people can't see. I can judge things that other people don't understand. I know what's right and what's wrong now with the world. I know what's right and wrong with, with you and you, and I can want to tell you about it sometimes. But Christ right here is saying that's exactly not the point of accepting him. It's not to take an opportunity to judge someone. That's already been done. That's why he came, so that could be broken. It's our responsibility to just receive it. And as he says, guess what? You think you're all that, but you're not. Because you're sick. And I remember several times my father would come home from a meeting at church. And whatever had happened, something contentious, I don't know, something would happen. And he wouldn't be upset, but he would start talking it out, explaining with, with mom what, what had happened. 
And at some point, he would say, yeah, because, you know, we're all sick. It's a sick, sick world. And people who are attracted to the church, that come to the church, they're coming there. Why? Because they need some healing. If you didn't know you needed it, you wouldn't be here. So instead of us having to be trapped in the idea of thinking we're better than anything, we should stay rooted in the beauty of knowing that we're absolutely nothing without Christ. That's the freedom. When you talk about there's freedom in the spirit, it's the freedom of knowing that all that ego that you got rolling around is nothing. You're free from that. You're free because without Christ in your life, you would go right back to being lost, being in sin. But by his grace and his mercy, you sit here today because you have accepted him into your life and you are following what he's doing. And for that, we should all raise a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Before I finish, as the band wants to come forward, they can. I do work in healthcare. I don't know if you guys know this or not. And I'm trying not going to be too technical because I don't want to lose the crowd. So I always tell you. But in healthcare, there were two types of service that healthcare provides, right? So you can either, when the government pays Anthem and United Health, they used to do it based on how many people United Health reported were coming, that they helped, they served. They called it fee for service. So if I was a doctor and I saw 100 people, I get paid for all those 100 people. Well, then it changed. It changed it. Y'all remember the ACA, all that good stuff? And what happened, it went from a FIFA service and how many people to what did you do with those people? How many had to come back? How many were actually got better? What happened to that individual along that program that they went through, the therapy that they had? And they call that a value base. And I use that example from numbers base to quality base. Because that's today. I look around, it's not about the numbers. It's not about how many. Because you can service a whole bunch of folks. Church could be filled to capacity. It could be thousands. But how many are truly being fed? What is the value? Who's actually following Christ in their life? And so I'd say we all have a unique opportunity right now to examine ourselves and our penitence and our repentance and to really begin a new walk with Christ. 
He's with you in your desert. He's with you in your temptations. He's with you in your struggles. Let us sit with him. Let him sit in your heart today. Let him sit in your mind and hear what he has to say. Is there a one? You do not know that Christ died for you. You do not know what's going to happen when you transition from this life into the next. And I invite you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. Well, I invite you to join this station of Zion and begin your walk, your path anew with him. Is there a one?